Hello and welcome to The Mariner with me, Chris Stanmore-Major. This week I'm going to be talking about COVID-19. Of course, it's uppermost in our minds at the moment. But is there anything that we as offshore sailors can bring to the party that is going to make this a little bit easier? Let's go and watch and chat about that. Ah, well, I gotta keep drinking the coffee because whilst I have managed to manufacture myself something of a studio here using our old show booth, and I'll show you a quick look around the rest of it in a second, it is in fact completely freezing. <laughs> so rather than me sitting here with my hat on or something, I'll try and look like I know what I'm doing. And if I start chattering, uh, then you'll know what's going on. Okay, so this episode, I wanted to talk about COVID-19. It's affecting us all right now. I'm on lockdown here in Nova Scotia. I haven't really left the property in a month. Um, been to the shops twice. Uh, the rest of the world seems to be sort of just drifting along uh, in, in a similar situation. As sailors, we can't go down to the yacht clubs. We can't go down to our boats at the marinas. We can't go down to the boat ramp. Um, but is there anything within this that we have that we can bring to this situation which may prove useful? I believe there is. I think sailors, particularly offshore sailors, are used to vastly changing situations. And that's what we've got here right now. If we compare our lives the way they are now to the way they were, say, two months ago, there is a considerable difference. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that. They're struggling to build into their everyday life what they are now required to do, the, the way that they are now required to be. And I think that as offshore sailors, we have uh, the experience of this that we can, we can apply to this situation. For, take this example. We're offshore, it's a beautiful day, sun's shining, um, got a little bit of sandwiches up on deck, gentle wind, spinnaker's pulling nicely, autopilot's driving, the music's playing, it's just champagne sailing. But you come up on deck and give the news that uh, there is a storm ahead that we're going to have to go through. There's no way of getting around it. So we enjoy the rest of the uh, lunch. We finish the song. We start to put everything away. We start to get the spinnaker down. We get the storm sail up on deck. And there is a change happening which is so complete and so profound. But we are preparing for it in a completely... Um, reasonable fashion. We're not freaking out, we're just taking the necessary steps to get ready for what we know is coming. For me, that's exactly what I felt when uh, I started to hear more about COVID-19. I was in China in the early 2000s when SARS hit the world press. Uh, it was already very much happening for us. Uh, I was two hours west of Shanghai by train in a town called Changzhou, which was a town, a small town in China of 4 million people, uh, 17 Westerners, I knew them all. And uh, we were very much aware of what was happening in Shanghai and Beijing, that SARS had broken out. We were talking to the authorities at the school and being told, no, 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 it's completely fine, it's not an issue at all. And then within a day, it had hit our town in that 
not that there were cases in the town, but that the awareness and we need to do something about this had hit our town. And suddenly we were under quarantine and we couldn't go anywhere and we we're having our temperatures taking all the time and there was a massive change. And I remember taking a trip uh, with my great friend Bill Murray, uh, not the Bill Murray, a different Bill Murray, but shout out to Bill, um, from Changzhou to Shanghai and getting on a I don't know, an Airbus of some description, an airplane that should hold like two or three hundred people and there were two of us on there with masks on and we went to Bangkok to get away from that region while that was happening. It happened to us, we knew very quickly this was something serious and we exited the country. That knowledge plus my um, awareness as a sailor that situations can change very quickly, I think allowed me to recognize very early on in this what was going to happen next and uh, getting all the food in happened weeks and weeks and weeks ago and recognized there was a big thing about everyone was stockpiling toilet paper on that didn't bother me like toilet paper's already in food's already in hunker down sit and wait now this is not a story of how clever am i this is the fact of previous experience plus this offshore sailor mentality of not expecting the way that things have been is going to continue into the future. That's a fallacy that we must never fall into, that the way it has been is the way it's going to be. On that afternoon, beautiful weather, enjoying yourself on deck and knowing that there's a storm coming, if you don't change, if you don't recognize that something's going to happen here which is totally different, then you're in for a hell of an evening when that thing hits. So I think the ability to change and to react and to bring new skills to bear is something that's a great strength that offshore sailors have. I think the other thing we have as sailors is the ability to be thrifty. And I don't mean just with money, I think with equipment, with food, um, with resources that we have around us. We're all on lockdown in one way or another. I'm very lucky here in Nova Scotia that we have a little bit of land, so I'm able to get out of the house. But for many people, you know, the balcony or the doorstep or the back garden is as far as you're going to go, except for the, the trips you must take out for, for work or for getting food or whatever it is. But that ability to be thrifty and to um, use whatever you've got to recognize that every single thing that you've got with you is a resource in some way. Even if it's the potato peelings plus worms equals compost for later in the year or that those old bits of wood can be manufactured into something different if you've got access to some tools or that for me here like I'll, I'll put a couple pictures in here of what I've done in this space. Where I'm sitting now is actually this very old barn which is opposite my house which um, we don't own, we use it basically for storage and until five days ago up here was just a jumble of old farming equipment and uh, cast off stuff from the family that had this barn before. There was hay everywhere, there were birds flying in and out and I just worked my tail off for five days to create something out of this space to take all of my stuff out of storage because I'm not going to a new office and put it up here. I'm being thrifty with what I have. I have this space. It was a hell of a lot of work and hours sweeping and dust mask on and all that rest of that stuff but I'm using what I've got in whatever way I can. I think offshore sailors are very good at that. You can't stop at a store and get the new whatever it is you need. If you need to get a round thing in a square thing like Apollo, you just have to do it with what you've got. So that ability I think is something that's very important. 
allied to that is the practical problem-solving mentality, which should be part of every sailor. And if you have any aspirations to go and do serious offshore voyaging, crossing oceans, going around the world, going to the Southern Ocean, whatever it is, the ability to problem-solve things is absolutely key. We may have all of the uh, best um, safety equipment that our sport, our industry, our pursuit has ever seen, but at the end of the day, that's the wrong mentality to have. You should be operating on the basis that you'll problem solve each thing that come along. You will work through each problem. You'll use what you've got around you, the crew, the boat, the tools, the resources, and you'll find your way through safely to the other side of it. And I think that the ability to be thrifty with your equipment, the ability to sense a change in what's happened and to apply a new sense of problem solving to it, these are all things as sailors that we should be stepping up and seeing if we can't make this into a time where we really shine, even though we can't go on the water. The other thing which is very important, which I see a lot of chit chat about on, the, um, on YouTube, um, here on the radio, is that people are not used to being in such close confines with other people. I think if you've done offshore voyaging or if you want to, this is a time to practice that skill set. Um, it's very hard to be uh, uptight and close with people for a long period of time. There's a reason I'm out here in this barn <laughs> and not making a studio in my house because um, we need to have space. Uh, everybody needs to have some kind of space. They need to know that there's some place that they can go where they can kind of escape from what's going on around them. And certainly at the moment where this is going on, there is a background level of stress that everybody is uh, experiencing to a greater or lesser degree, which has got to be an element in every conversation, in every interaction. If you think someone's flying off the hook real early, well, maybe they have a background level of stress relating to this that you need to be aware of in the way that you deal with them. One of the things we do on boats when we have a lot of people all together is we allocate that each person has a place on the boat that's theirs. And if they're there in that spot, then they are not to be disturbed. Even though their spot may be sat next to a particular winch or sitting in the bow or sitting on one end of their bunk or whatever it is, but they can just say, I'm in my place right now. And that means to everybody else, I need my own time. And although I can't go to a separate room or go off for a walk down the park, when I'm in this place, this is my place. And when I'm sat here, I'm out of the way. You can't barricade yourself in the toilet for long enough in most houses to get some alone time. But you can say, look, I normally sit over here, but if I'm sitting in that chair over there, and you come to me and I say, look, I'm in my place right now. That just means I want my own space. I need my own time. And anybody reasonable who's part of your life that understands what we're trying to get at here, the ability to pass through this unscathed, is going to give you space for that. I would say it's not great to go and like, you know, on a boat, you could go and lock yourself in the forepeak or climb into the lazarette or something bizarre. It's not good to get yourself too far away from people because Ultimately, you do need to be sociable, you need to be seen, but if you don't want to be talked to and you just want to do your own thing while you just have your time on your own, that has to be given some credence. You have to be given the ability to have a little bit of space like that. Connected to that, very much connected to that, is the difference uh, if you're completely on your own or if you're with a group of people, as Thomas Hardy said, never so alone as in the crowd. 
if you're feeling alone and that is starting to drift into loneliness, I've got to say I've, I've got a lot of experience of that and it's not good. It's not good at all. As a young fella coming up, I was very proud of my self-reliance and self-reliance became independence and these things are given a prestige in our culture that oh he's a very independent man so self-reliant yeah that's cool no problem but independence can go to being alone very quickly and aloneness can become loneliness very very fast and that is something that you really have to guard against in such strange times if you're on your own i'd say now write to me write to me i've been on my own for huge periods of time <laughs> i'll talk to you I'll talk to anybody. Who have I got here? I've got, um, I've got some notes in front of me of people that have um, written to me recently. Um, I've got a guy called uh, Kev Lepoir Devin. <laughs> I'm murdering that. I'm so sorry. Anyway, he is the captain of a boat called Rogue Wave and they recently did the Sydney Hobart. And Kev wrote to me and uh, told me the story of their Sydney Hobart. And it was absolutely fantastic. And Kev, if you're watching or if you're listening, and if you are happy for me to just tell some of that story, I'd love to share that with people. Kev's 58, he said his biggest fans are his uh, parents and his family, and he took a crew and went and did the Sydney Hobart. And I think they were uh, almost last, if not considerably last, and uh, still had a fantastic time. Got a massive cheer when they went into Hobart. He did an uh, absolute stellar job, I understand, of uh, backing the boat uh, all the way down through multi-million dollar boats and <laughs> snuggling into its berth, something I can take great pride in. But these kind of emails, this kind of sharing is what this time is all about. So if you are on your own, if you're uh, feeling lonely, find somebody. I found that being on my own, very, very far away from people, the demons start to kind of come up inside you. There's that old thing that inside each of us is the, uh, the black wolf and the white wolf, the good wolf and the bad wolf. And each of them requires to be fed. Now you must choose which one you feed and which becomes stronger. And that may sound a little bit uh, spiritual for some, but it's not meant that way. It's very true. Inside each of us is a dark side and a light side. So if you're feeling alone uh, in a group of people, feeling a little bit separated from them, had an argument or something, or if you are completely on your own, you've ended up in a situation where you're in lockdown and there's no one with you, um, you've got to be very careful to feed the white wolf. And my experience of this has been that if you start to feel a little bit down, if you start to feel a little bit lonely, first thing is you need to have a little bit of sugar. You need to have a little bit of sugar, you need to have a little bit of water, and you need to start breathing. We've said this before, Sugar, water, and oxygen are the three things that drive not everything that humans do, clearly, but it's a lot of what drives those surface level emotions. And you can drift in and drift out of emotional states. But you can control that a little bit. And the first thing, if you start to feel a bit down, is go and get something sugary. I don't mean like go and noshing on huge amounts of awful things because we all need to make sure we're as healthy as possible right now. But, you know, a, uh, a little biscuit or something like that. Something that's got a little sweetness in it that just you take a positive action towards it and then just take some breaths and look out the window a little bit and just recognize that you are as much at, uh, the, at the, the, the will of your own emotions and your own um, biology as, as a leaf on the wind. You need to take control of it a little bit. And if you're feeling lonely and those sort of demons, those dark imaginings are starting to well up inside you, a technique which I have used 
um, is to be the harbour master of your mind. I can't remember who, come where I got this from. It might have been, I fear it to say, but I think it might have been the film Eat, Pray, Love. Hmm, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be admitting to that. But what I do is I, when I'm very, very far away from things and I start to worry about my family, I start to worry about people's health, I start to remember every movie scene I've seen which is you know violence and bad things and you can't get out in your head and you're worried about the future and you're worried about the past I imagine that I am the harbour master of my own mind and when these thoughts start to come into the harbour I send them back out see that's the thing with being the harbour master is you can decide who or what is allowed to birth you're allowed to decide. And as soon as it starts to come in, you're, uh-uh, no, and back out, it must go. And that sounds a really odd thing to do. How can you shun a thought from your mind? Well, it needs a little bit of practice. But if you just have a little bit of sugar, get some breaths in, get the oxygen up, that's already going to be good for you. Make sure you're well hydrated. And then actively, as you start to think, you remember you start to think about you're really worried about loved ones in, the, you know, in a care home. I'm listening to stories of what's going on in UK care homes. I, it's an odd thing to say, but I'm, I'm almost happy that my parents are now gone and I'm not worried about what they may or may not be experiencing in the UK. I cannot begin to imagine what I'd be worrying about. And if you have something like that, you can't deny it. You can't walk away from it. It's going to be there, but you have to give it, think about it at the right time. When you're up, when you're positive, when you're feeling strong, think about it then. At the down moments when you're feeling negative and you're feeling a little bit vulnerable, you have to be the harbour master of your mind and that thought comes in, you say, nope, back out and push it back out and it's going to stay at sea until you've got a birth for it where you can deal with it a little bit. So those techniques I found to be very, very useful. So for sailors, there are things which we have which we can, which we can bring to this which um, are very, very positive and I would urge you to do what any captain, any crew member would do, which is look after those around you first. And that means that you've got to look after them physically. That means, you know, obviously social distancing and uh, going to the shops as limited as you can and, and the gloves and the mask and all those things must do, but emotionally as well. This is a very trying time. There's a lot of pressure on people and people deal with pressure in different ways. I've been in some terribly stressful situations many people have and they can perhaps deal with this background level of stress in a different way than those who have been lucky enough not to have to deal with hugely stressful situations but everybody's emotional safety is extremely important right now and a good captain a good crew member on a boat is always looking out for the little indicator that someone needs a hand that someone needs some help that someone needs something doing for them that's going to make the day a little bit better and so yes you know you may have somebody in your house that wants to stack the dishwasher incorrectly God damn it the knives and forks are the wrong way around and the plates are on the top shelf but what's the ultimate objective here the ultimate objective is to get through a planet-wide viral pandemic that's what we're trying to do and it doesn't matter if the spoons and forks are the one way around and maybe you've got a teenage kid who's spending way too long in their room. What's it like from their point of view? When we were growing up, we didn't have a global pandemic to worry about. Maybe getting nice and tight and snuggled up, nested in their bedroom feels better. 
than being downstairs where parents are a bit antsy with each other or there's nothing to do and there's no one to talk to. And so try and be as considerate as possible with people and recognize that stress in yourself as any good captain, we had the, the episode uh, a couple back there about shouting. A lot of that we discussed was the fact it's background stress, that you're in a situation you don't know how to deal with and you are not dealing with it very well. Could it be that those arguments are coming out of your own inbuilt stress? But let's get something straight. I heard at the beginning of all this, I watched a brilliant podcast episode by Joe Rogan, um, I'll put the link in the description below. Um, have a look at that. It's now you know, more than a month old, but Michael Osterholm, who is the um, medic who Joe was talking to, absolutely brilliant, and every single thing he said is exactly what's happening. So still a great source of information. He was just way ahead of the curve, or way ahead of the curve that we perceived. Um, he said, this is not the COVID-19 blizzard. This is the COVID-19 winter. And I am in no way uh, stepping back from the positivity I feel that we will get through this, but we must be aware of something. We have not sailed into the COVID-19 storm here. We've sailed into the southern COVID-19 ocean. This is something which is going to take a while to get through, and we all need to be very aware of our own internal situation. What's the good wolf saying? What's the bad wolf saying? We need to be aware of the skill set that we bring to this, things that we can do to help ourselves, help those around us, help our exit from this and what that may look like. And we as sailors, do we have something in us that can be positive for everyone that we have this problem solving ability to recognize that a change has happened and we must react to it? Do we have the ability to be in close confines with folks and deal with that? Do we have uh, mental abilities to, to deal with a stressful long-term situation? Can you be the harbour master of your mind and keep the, the pressures out and therefore be more positive and more of a benefit to those around you? I hope you can. Okay, well, we've got through that, so let's go on to our next section. It's questions and tangents. As always, I'm being challenged to have a couple of questions. I've got them on the board here. Um, two very simple ones. What's the maximum speed that I've ever been at and the maximum I've done in a day? Well, uh, they both happened in the, well, just outside the Gulf Stream. You can't set distance records in the Gulf Stream because it runs up the east coast of the US there at uh, up to four or five knots in places, although you'd be lucky to find one of those. But I was, um, I was actually just outside of it, um, probably 50, 60 miles to the east of it um, during the Velux Five Oceans race. And the boat hit a maximum speed of 33 and a half knots, which was, which was a maximum, but there'd been other maximums of like 29, 30, 31, 32. So it was over a long period of time it was uh, hitting that. And I did uh, 385 and a half, I think, miles in a day. So um, that's trucking. What's that, nearly 700 kilometers in a day? 
when I compare that to what uh, Open 60s are doing now, we're over 500 miles in a day, I have got uh, a lot to be going at. So I would have been averaging about 16 knots to do uh, 385 miles in a day. That's averaging. Um, but when you think about the fact that boats are now doing over 500 miles a day, then you're talking about they're doing another like 120 miles on top. <laughs> which is pretty wild when you think about it. So to do another 120 miles in a day, you need to be doing another five knots on top of that. So you're talking about averaging 21 knots. So I got some things to look forward to as my career goes forward. Uh, being able to average over 21 knots all day in a monohull boat is quite simply incredible. But um, 16 was pretty fast. I'll work up from there. Uh, the other question is ah, from Scott. Hello, Scott. Scott's been sending me quite a few questions, which is awesome. Scott Booth, thank you very much. Um, he asked me about water intake and water uh, forcing fluids. So um, water intake, as we all know, we're probably all a little bit guilty of not drinking enough water at this time while we're dealing with COVID. Remember that your body is mostly water. If you can do one thing to help yourself, good fluid intake would be it. Um, Forcing fluids, you have to be very, very aware of fluid intake. And I'm actually going to be getting on to that about two more episodes. That story I'm doing of going solo around the world. As I leave um, Punta del Este in Uruguay and head up to Charleston in the US, my water maker stopped working. And um, that brings in a lot of questions about how do you deal with that at sea if you're not going to just give up and pull off into Brazil, which I didn't, <laughs> uh, how do you deal with that? We can discuss hydration a lot there, but to, to get into the question a little bit now, you need to be super aware of it. So at home every day, we're meant to be drinking, is it eight glasses of eight fluid ounces or two liters, whatever that is, in whichever measuring system you're in. Um, I definitely do that. What I am very aware of, I have a water bottle, which is about the size of my coffee cup here. Oh no, it'd be a bit bigger, sorry, there'd be a liter uh, this must be about five or six hundred mils, I guess, capacity. Um, the, uh, the key is to be drinking from the top of a water bottle to the bottom and monitoring it going down and then doing another one. And you want to have the first one done by two o'clock in the afternoon and the second one done by, well, before you go to bed in a normal day. Um, when we're in hotter conditions, I worked for Outward Bound in Hong Kong and we're trekking and hiking and doing all sorts of things in over 36 degrees. Uh, Celsius, um, very high humidity, very hard for the body to, to cool itself using sweating because the temperature is high but the humidity is high so you, the water will not uh, evaporate off your skin. So we were drinking up to five liters a day um, which is then getting to area where if you drink that amount and then don't take in enough uh, nutrients you can actually go hyponutremic where you have watered down your blood to a point where you start to feel really sick you basically have the same symptoms as uh, dehydration but you're just going to the toilet like a racehorse so you're getting ataxia you're getting dizzy um, your problem solving goes out the window perhaps your ability to speak becomes garbled and jumbled as your reasoning falls apart um, stumbling around um, you may or may not be sweating. 50% um, of people seem to sweat profusely. 50% of people seem to dry up. You may be very, very red where you're overheating. You may go absolutely white. These things can't really be relied on, but certainly you're gonna be feeling very awful on the inside and looking from the outside in, you're gonna see somebody who's very clearly, um, their, uh, their ability to process what's going on around them has become um, uh, 
uh, impaired. So hyponutremic and dehydration are the issues. They're the two endpoints. We're trying to fit the line down the middle. Correct hydration level is most easily recognized when you go to the bathroom. Now, if you're peeing off the back of the boat, this is a bit of a problem, right? Because it's just going off the back of the boat and we're not exactly like analyzing it. If you're going to the toilet inside the boat, so much the better, but remember to look. So I gotta tell you again, you know, this is a, we talk about sailing here, so that means we talk about reality here. When I'm on the boat, I pee in a little bottle uh, all the time. Okay, now if I'm with a crew, that's a little bit different. I pee in the bottle for two reasons. Number one, the least amount of time I can spend standing at the rail, the better. On open 60s, when I'm sitting uh, at, when I'm sorry, standing at the back of the boat, I have a 600 millimeter high guardrail, which is basically just above my knee, and I'm holding on to the piece of like rigging, like backstay or something, so that I don't fall off the back of the boat. If one thing goes wrong in that situation, I'm straight over the back of the boat. So if I go to the toilet, I don't know, how many times a day do you go to the toilet? Five, six times, I don't know. So five, six times a day, I don't go to the edge of the boat and I don't expose myself to that risk. In 10 days, I've reduced the amount of risks by 50 to 60. In 100 days at sea, can you see where this is going? Hundreds of opportunities to fall off the boat have been avoided. That's why I pee in the bottle. But number two is because I can take a quick look at it, I can see the color and I can understand my hydration level really, really quickly. So if I um, honest about it, I probably drink a little bit too much coffee as I'm doing these things because I have to stay awake for these long periods and all the rest of that stuff we've discussed before. But I make sure that I am aware of my hydration level and I will force fluids if I need to. Um, and I have been in situations where we've had water which has gone off in the tanks and we can talk about water storage at a later uh, date, how to do that sensibly so you don't get caught out in a bad situation with that. Um, and I have literally just forced myself to drink it however bad it tastes, not to poison myself, but you can't make a choice not to drink. So um, a couple of episodes later on in the story of sailing solo around the world, we'll be talking about the water making breaking, water maker breaking. We'll come back to talk about this some more. But um, no, fluid intake, extremely important. You cannot be in a situation where you're making decisions on a boat that's doing you know, 16 to 20 knots and then not sure if uh, your, your brain's all there because you're dehydrated or hyponutremic. Okay, that's less to the questions. Uh, a little bit of ship's business. We've got some lost and found. I know somebody watching this, Mr. Rick Smith. Is this your fleece, sir? <laughs> I promised I'd bring it back. There you go. It was on board Challenger. Got left there. It's been around the world, that fleece, I can see. Which year is it? 0708 Clipper Race. Rick was four deck on a Clipper boat, but I know it's also done about 10,000 miles with me. It's here. I will send it to you when we can all get back to that kind of stuff. Um, before we finish up, I want to have a few honorable mentions. Okay, first honorable mention goes to Sailing Starbuck, who has become my first Patreon supporter, which is awesome. Um, as you can all imagine, uh, Spartan, as was basically due to COVID-19, oh, it's not going nowhere. Uh, Challenger is in the marina in, uh, well, in the boatyard, in fact, in Alicante. So no one's going anywhere near that. Um, Falcon is up the road. Oh, I've got to change this. Look, at this is one of our older show booths. Still says Hellcat. So we've got to get uh, that changed. But she's now sitting in the uh, boatyard uh, up the road here, but equally, we can't do anything with it for a while. Uh, there's a minimum number of people required to launch the boat and that exceeds the maximum number of people allowed to come together by the rules 
here in Nova Scotia as handed down by the, uh, the provincial government. So we'll find a solution for that in the end, um, but uh, she's staying where she is. But what we're doing now is, uh, is what's going to be uh, Spartan's new direction, uh, sailing media and then this online training, which we now have a set. So give me your feedback on this. Um, who wrote to me? Justin Andrew. Hello, Justin. It, done some sailing with you, I know. Um, he says he's got a lot of experience setting up studios. How am I doing? <laughs> I'm not sure about the lights, but uh, I need to get some heating, but I think we're doing okay here. Um, who else we got? Um, we've got uh, David, now let me get this right, David Boily, is that right? B-O-I-L-L-Y. He's from Montreal. He's a photographer. He wrote to me to say that, um, he says if there's, um, if, you, <laughs> if there's only three people listening, he's one of them. Whee! Okay, so <laughs> that's good. Uh, I've had Mike Tate and Peter Bake and uh, Matt Ward, um, Dustin Wanko and Randall Saunders all writing to uh, give me some support. Uh, Nigel Cave says he wants to go around the world, although Nigel, I did see that your email address says uh, Nigel Cave and Karen Cave, so you may want to discuss that with Karen. I see that her opinion was not in there. And of course, that wonderful email from Kev about the Sydney Hobart. So if you want to write to me uh, with questions like Scott did for the, the water and uh, Patrick did for the, uh, the maximum speed, um, whether it be rigging, um, whether it be uh, composite repair, sailing tactics, you name it, I can find out what the answer is or I maybe already know the answer. I'm thinking that the next episode we're going to do some practical stuff, which this has been mostly a podcast at the moment um, and, a, and a kind of talking. Ed Finn, who I have sailed with before, uh, says uh, half an hour of me yattering is too much. <laughs> okay, Ed, no problem at all. He says I've got to splice in some action shots. Um, bit tricky on a podcast, Ed, but I'll, I'll come to that with some other stuff. Um, I've got over here a copy of the Ashley Book of Knots which if you don't know, is the most incredible uh, knot book in the world. I actually, obviously, as you might guess, have quite a good idea about rope work. I started out as a tall ship rigger and started out as a, a tire of knots, whether decorative or practical. So I'm thinking we might do a little bit of stuff like that. There's plenty of places on YouTube you can go and see um, how to tie knots. But my thing would be more like the applications, the variations, how you actually put that knowledge into practical use. And then we can look at some of the decorative stuff that um, you know really changes things around on a boat and makes it have that personal touch if you know what you're doing. So lots to look forward to there. Um, we'll be coming back in two days time. I've now got myself set up here in the barn. Um, it's a good space, I think. I say feedback from anybody who knows anything about anything here, <laughs> making and all the rest of it, but I'm being thrifty and I'm problem solving and I'm recognizing that things have changed and I need to change with them, so I'm doing what I can. Um, I'm gonna be getting on directly after this with the uh, online training which we're doing now. Uh, we've got a lot of people interested in that. I'm a little slow getting to it. I said it would be a day to get the studio set up. It wasn't a day, <laughs> it was five days. So we're gonna be getting on with that, but lots to come and I will now be able to step back up to at least two or three episodes a week, maybe three, maybe three at sea, and then we can keep chatting about sailing. We all need to have our fix at the moment. We can't get out on the water, so let's, um, let's do what we can together. But um, this episode was about what you as a sailor can bring to this global problem that we have, and I would say the answer to that is a lot and perhaps more than you realize. So 
Let's, uh, let's do what we can to help those around us. Let's stay safe. Let's make sure that we have many happy days out on the water ahead of us and don't fall into the trap of coming out of lockdown too early. I just heard today that uh, Donald Trump says that the US is going to start lifting all its restrictions and going to re-kick the economy into gear. Okay, let's see how that goes. Meanwhile, in the UK, this is going to be three more weeks of lockdown. <sighs> but I don't know anything about politics, so I'm going to shut my mouth. <laughs> but until uh, the next time, uh, it's great to hear from you all. It's great to continue chatting like this. And I'll speak to you in the next one. Cheers.